Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by Faithful. David, the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. Good. It was a, what is it, a 4-3 overtime win? 5-4. Edmonton won. 5-4. All right. 5-4. The first mistake. There will be others. <laughs> I was at the game, so it's it, it kind of flows over you. You know, it's kind of, it's different. I do. At the game, it's you're not as up on the details of the game, even the score apparently. But um, it was an interesting game, which started out very poorly for the Oilers, but they came on and they made a game of it. So uh, let's all raise a glass of milk to the Oilers and uh, get on with this podcast. Two good things, two bad things, and two numbers, Bruce. Why don't you start it off with a good with your good thing in this game? Yeah, well, I think my good thing is just uh, the Oilers. Uh, uh, continue to battle back in this game. Uh, after starting off uh, atrociously, uh, down 2 nothing in the first three minutes, down 8 nothing in shots after the first eight minutes, and I had visions of game 56 against Vancouver last year when Edmonton mailed it in in the last regular season game uh, and then proceeded to not win another game for the entire rest of the season. And I was thinking... This isn't good. This isn't good. You know, I'm just kind of antsy about it. Knowing the game meant nothing. And it was clear the team also knew it meant nothing. And yet somehow they found um, another, well, somehow. I mean, obviously they have more than one more gear to give than they gave in those early going. But they, they were able to give up their, bring up their give a crap meter uh, to get involved in this game. And actually uh, raised the physicality level, which I didn't expect. I frankly expected it to be a complete no-hitter. And then guys like uh, uh, Brett Kulak, for instance, started uh, laying on the body a little bit. And uh, Ryan uh, McLeod got a hit. Ryan McLeod had, I, I counted three hard hits by Ryan <laughs> McLeod, and he's officially credited with three hits. And I think they caught the same three I did. They were all actual purpose hits like he meant to he meant to actually not just bump the guy at the end of the finish the check but uh delay a lick on a guy and he did it three times and uh uh guys like mcleod kulak and uh numerous others uh, seem to just sort of pull edmonton back into uh competing which is really what they needed to do and uh, and at the end of the night they uh uh they competed uh hard enough to come back from three different deficits, 2 nothing, 3-2, 4-3, and finally uh, finish the job in overtime on their third great chance in overtime. They uh, finally put it away on a, on a goal by uh, uh, surprise hero Zach Hyman. Yeah, the executioner shot by Zach Hyman there. He harpoons mm-hmm. that one right in the net. What a beautiful beautiful shot i didn't think yeah when it, when they got down to nothing and the way they got down to nothing of course you know the first goal is koskinen and and philip broberry failed to have a vulcan mind meld on that play because it was it was i don't know koskinen needs to communicate to yeah. his defenseman if he's going to pass the puck or or something like it it seemed like he should just have covered that puck up honestly he and needed then to freeze the puck he needed, he needed to, to freeze, freeze the puck, puck and he didn't yeah. do it and then it's in the net a few seconds later. And then the next goal, of course, it's a turnover by Keith. Not a nice-looking mm-hmm. turnover. And then then the puck um, gets sent into the slot, and it goes off Bouchard's skate. So mm-hmm. it's like 
within the first four minutes of the game, they're down two nothing on two crud hole goals. I mean, it was just not good at all. But like you say, Bruce, and then then you know they they battle back to tie it up, and of course they the uh, the to get they get the three two goal um, Saturday's on the Californian right. They got to yeah. get it. Point shot from Bent Burns tipped into the net. But the Oilers got they came back with a few kind of goals like that of their own. So, my, they and my got one Californian for sure. The Oilers. The Oilers did. did. Yeah, they did. It was. Uh, oh yeah, the the um, who was who shot that one? It was the Ryan tip where Fogel was in front of the net. It was that Barry Tyson uh, Barry yes. shot, that one. and that was the four four four. No, the three three, three goal. Three That was the three, yeah. That was three three. three. Yeah, so return Californian, return serve on that. Goal. We call it the Californian because the that's the kind of uh, goals that typically California teams have scored against the orders for eons, it seems, for centuries, many centuries of this kind of goal against the orders. The point shot followed by the tip and into the orders net. The orders are scoring more, many more of those goals themselves. But I think they won this game on skill, Bruce. They just, their dominant skill took over at key times in the game. And my good thing is one of those plays. It's the 4-4 goal. And this is a moment that that rookie uh, Oilers defenseman Philip Broberry will remember the rest of his life. Because not only, not only did he score a tying goal, it's not a big game, a, a tying goal, in um in in, game a game, him. in a game it was his first goal and it was set up by Connor mcdavid you know the play starts out the it's kind of the virtuous cycle with pulia yarvi and kane passing back and forth the puck and then pulia yarvi chips it to mcdavid who who slashes out to the into the uh traffic into the slot and finds broberry in in the kind of mid slot area and he he just just a gorgeous delicious kind of shot that beats the goalie clean it was a fabulous goal for your first goal in the nhl and so good for him he's he has about you know i think um two points for every three hl games that he's been playing this year it's a pretty good for four actually 23 points in 31 games it's a pretty good percentage for a rookie defense 20 year old defenseman in the ahl He, he had his shaky moments in this game yes um Looked like at one sh- like honestly uh, on one shift it looked like there was something wrong with his skate. He was having trouble moving around the ice, mm-hmm. and he almost got in trouble. But um, there's lots to like about this player. He's big, lanky. He can really skate, and he's got some offensive moves. Like I think once he gets some confidence at the NHL level, which he has none, <laughs> essentially, like right. he's just playing. He's just hanging in there right now. He's just feeling his way through the games. Mm-hmm. Once he does get some confidence, we're gonna there's a there is a good player there, and and that was a nice. Uh, Nice thing to get the fans on his side in Edmonton, which is always important for any rookie defenseman because <laughs> the fans can That's turn against sure. that kind of player fast. Well, I'll say a nice first NHL goal. And I mean, it was set up by a great assist by Connor McDavid, but uh, Brobery can tell his grandchildren in 50 years time or whatever that it wasn't just a great play by McDavid for an easy tap in. It was a great play by McDavid to set him up in the high slot. And he buried a shot past uh, James Reimer, a, a solid proven NHL goaltender. Yeah. Uh, that left him a sliver of space on the short side post. And he just rifled it in there. That was a great shot from like top of the circle. And I mean, he, he had a very good look thanks to McDavid, but he converted that look into a goal courtesy his own excellent shot so good on you philip broberry 
Philip Broberg. Yeah, I was uh, I was in a corporate box then at my friend uh, mm-hmm. Dan Woodruff. He's a longtime uh, chartered accountant in the city for Price Waterhouse Coopers, and mm. they gave him the box because he's going to be retiring soon. Oh yeah. And nice. uh, anyway, everyone in the box, a few people in the box, were teasing me for for us calling him Broberg uh-huh. <laughs> on the podcast. Uh-huh. But that's his name, so we will. Well, well then uh, we'll turn around and t- tease Jack Michaels for calling Pavel Bushnevich. Pavel <laughs> Bushnevich. You know, so you try and get these European names let, right, and all it does is get yeah. you in trouble. <laughs> all it does is get you in trouble. No one likes. No one likes the effort. Probably not even Philip Robery. Um So yeah, um, I mean, it, it's it's tempting, of course, to go with the last goal, Bruce. The overtime winning goal mm-hmm. was also spectacular, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I just think that's a, that was a really memorable play, and uh, yes. I'll I'll remember that. We've been watching Philip Broberry develop. Just nice to see him get that. That was great. Your bad thing, Bruce. Yeah, well, I got to go with the defense pairing of uh, Duncan Keith and Evan Bouchard, who had a ridiculously bad first period, yes. and and gradually got it together and stopped giving up ten bell. Uh, chances after that, but uh, they were in chase mode for much of the game, and they, they just didn't really seem to have their uh, uh, to be on the same page defensively. You described the early goal by uh, uh, by Noah Gregor off the uh, turnover by Keith, and then deflected in by uh, uh, by um, Bouchard. And then there was three more later in the period where I assigned just two um, errors on grade A chances, and it was the same two guys three three times. I think two were right in a row, and then the third one was a completely distinct play again. And it wasn't just uh, the grade A chances, uh, but the shots on net. Evan Bouchard played 18 minutes at even strength, and the shots on net were two for Edmonton and 19 for San Jose. And yet somehow Edmonton came out of that even at one goal for and one goal against. And same for Duncan Keith with three for 19 against and the same one, one and one. And just absolutely buried, like five scoring chances to 19 for Bouchard. And they were just an adventure in their own end. They, if Bouchard did make some stuff happen in the good end. He got an assist on uh, McLeod's uh, power play goal on a decent outside shot. He uh, he got um, uh, he rang the post on an outside shot of his own in the third period. Uh, but on the defensive side, he was a mess in this game, and his veteran partner. Uh, did not bail him out very much. Let's let's put it that way. And it was it was a rough game for for those guys. You know, it's funny because when you're at the game, you, you, it's easy to miss stuff like that. Like honestly, it is. And I, I saw the you know the play the on the first goal, but the other stuff, I you know, you kind right. of have a vague sense that that things are happening. They're happening fast. There was a lot of scoring chances in that game. Your what's your preliminary count there, Bruce? Um, Twenty to. 20 to 14, I think, for the uh, Oilers in grade mm-hmm. A shot. 20 to 14, yeah. and then 13 to 8 for five alarm shots for the Oilers. So the and Oilers deserve to win this one. Despite the 44-31 margin in actual shots on net by the Sharks, the Oilers did create the better opportunity in the fullness of time, but it sure took them uh, pretty much half the game to really get 
get involved in it in the offensive side of things. Because the impression left from Bouchard from from being there, at least my impression, was just how exciting it is to see that guy shoot the puck. Yes, and you just you're just is. hoping when he whenever he's out there on the power play or in the offensive end that the, the other guys are going to find him for a shot. And to give Duncan Keith credit, he really does look for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. continually, he like he's it's kind of job one for Duncan Keith, and he often mm-hmm. finds him. And Bouchard got a number of very threatening shots. Uh, on net and can he ever drill that puck yes. I mean it's not quite Al McInnes it's not quite that but it's not that far off it's not that far off he can he really fires the puck like I remember Stefan Pearson and Denny Potvin they were another couple of guys who could really kill that puck um, mm-hmm. uh, from the from the blue line and uh, Pearson had a great shot there. Although I think they were more wrist shotters. If I snap yes. shotters, if, if, yes. if I recall correctly. Both of them. Yeah. Potvin had a fantastic wrist shot. Yeah. So that's what that's, it's funny. Cause your impression, like, and I, and I trust your impression much more than mine. You've done the video analysis. Like sometimes we'd give our game grades and people say, well, right. you must've watched a different game than I did. And I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did. We watched we it in watched, a different way. We watched it in a very different way than you're watching it. You know, we've, you're going over the highlights. You're lo- looking at all the scoring chances. You're really digging into it as the game's going along. It takes a little bit more time, but it does give you a different impression of the game. My my uh, bad thing, Bruce, was in the third period. Zach Cassian was going down the wing, and uh, Malosh, the the uh, defenseman for San Jose, made a very reckless play, hacking him in the face. And my and this is just a fear. I have no idea what what happened, but it, it looked like he might have got hit in the eye. And from his reaction, that's what I was kind of gathering. Like it just mm-hmm. to get hit in the face the way he did. He, he's a tough guy. You can get yeah. hit unless there, unless there, a, a bone a bone broke in his face, which is also a possibility. Um, he's had some problems with that. I think this year, right? He's had a broken bone in his face. Correct. This is his third distinct head injury in this season. He took a punch in a preseason game, uh, and then he uh, took a shot in the face that broke his cheekbone. Yeah. And a, a slap shot that hit him in the in the face and put him out for a month. And then now the, you know, who knows how long he's out well, for, but he missed yeah. the end of this game with a, a, a real wicked smack in the side of the head at minimum. Yeah, it could be the eye. You hope he didn't get him in the eye because he doesn't wear a visor because he's got a fight and on it goes. Mm-hmm. So the life of uh, the NHL player is not, it, he makes a lot of money, but man, that guy takes it. It's a tough, tough job that he's got being uh, one of the guys who fights for the Oilers. Mm-hmm. And he would have otherwise had a visor on and he didn't and, and he got smacked in the face. Uh, your number, Bruce. Yeah, I'm going to use fingers and toes. My numbers are 5, 10, and 20. Uh, five being the number of 20 goal scorers on the Edmonton Oilers now after tonight's game. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, 55. Connor McDavid, 44. Zach Hyman, 27. Vander Kane, 22. Kyler Yamamoto, the latest entry in the 20 goal club, uh, with his 20th on a beauty of a play on a counterattack with... Uh, uh, fabulous setup by uh, Leon Dreisaitl. Uh and Yamamoto was able to squeeze the puck through 
James Reimer on the short side and into the net for his 20th goal. And this was mere three minutes or so after he got his 20th assist of the season. So good on you, Kyler Yamamoto, to hit the double 2020 milestone in the same period right at the end of the season. That's a, that's good for him, and it's also good for his contract negotiation, which is, you know, so it goes. I mean, good on him for getting to 20. Uh, and then the 10 is the Oilers have 10 players now who scored 10 goals on the season, with the 10th entry on that list being number 10, Derek Ryan, who uh, tipped home a shot from the uh, uh, from the slot in the third period to tie the game at 3-3. Got a couple of lucky bounces there. It looked like it might have hit Warren Fogel, but it didn't on the way through, although you can bet I credited Fogel for his effort on the edge yeah. of the crease. That goal would not yeah. have happened without him doing his mucking and grinding in there. So 10-10 goal scores, 5-20 goal scores. Uh, I've not yet had a chance to go through and see when was the last time Edmonton Oilers were able to do this as a team. Uh, but my guess is a while. And, I wonder if in 2005-06 they came close to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably so. They, they had a deep team, and that's kind of what you need to get, you know, 10 times 10. And uh, they got two other guys sitting on nine. Ryan McLeod got his ninth tonight, and Darnell Nurse, it looks like he's destined to finish the season at nine. But uh, uh, a nice depth of uh, of scoring on the team. That's right. If Nurse hadn't gotten hurt, he would probably could well be in that uh in the running i'm just looking at the 2005-06 oilers goals on the right page for that and they had two four six eight nine of them with michael pecka and marty reasoner knocking on the door with nine goals each and they have four guys above 20 and they had a 19 goal scorer in hemsky and an 18 goal scorer in pisani anyway so that was a fairly deep team too right and, yeah, uh, so they're equivalent to that. Other than that, team did not have a 55 goal or even a 44 goal man like uh, Mc, Drysaddle and McDavid. So, and then in 2016-17, I think they had five 20 goal men. McDavid, Drysaddle, Maroon, Lucic, and Everly were all between 20 and 30. And then they had uh, three more with over 10, but so they only had eight. And so. In terms of deep teams, the orders have not had very many others in the parody era that were three to four lines deep of guys that could score at least occasionally. You know, I mean, a 10-goal man is not a, a a major sniper, but having a 10-goal guy playing in your bottom six beats Colin, <coughs> Colin Fraser and his, you know, two goals and three assists for the season or whatever, right? I mean, you get a little bit of production and you got... Uh, a lot of grinding, and hopefully you at least break even out of those positions, right? Indeed. Bruce, my number is, um, it's a number I've returned to a few times. It's Jay Woodcroft's winning percentage, points percentage. It's now 716 since he arrived, which is the third highest total uh, for the NHL in that in that time period since February 10th. He... Um, 25 wins in his in the 37 games and they go into the playoffs the second hottest team after calgary in the western conference calgary being at 750 uh in terms of points percentage in that same time period st louis is fifth at 703 colorado sixth at 689 the wild uh, are at eighth at 667 so those are the five teams i think you'd have to be considered the favorites um in the playoffs right now 
in the in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's a it's an incredible it's an incredible feat. It's an incredible feat. I just you know I just want to keep hearing La Bamba after every Oilers game. Play La Bamba, baby. <laughs> yeah. Play I La see La young Ben uh, have his turn on the ice this morning. It was. They really practice, got a goal. They had him. Uh, they had him involved in the in the 50-50. You know, there was, they're they're really uh, uh, going the extra mile with that uh, with that kid. And why not, right? I mean, that gives everyone a, a warm feeling. Nine and zero, oh. play La Bamba, baby. <laughs> play La Bamba, baby. All right, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. I'll let you get out. I know you got to write the game yeah. grades here. So you bet. All right. Thanks for talking. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.